Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. Welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is August 16th, Sunday. On Friday the 14th, SPY closed at 336.84. We are up about 4% on the year. Here with us is the impervious Sean Bush. Welcome to the show again. Back in locked and loaded here, so re- ready to talk some stocks. Very excited, and I, I heard the soundboard has a, a few new sounds that were added to it, so looking forward to soundboard V2. But let's get started, as always, with our bets that have started May 1st and continued onward. We have a new bet to introduce this week, but first, getting to our Berkshire versus Triple Q, the NASDAQ 100 uh, market stands up 19% since May 1st, Triple Q up 27.93%, and Berkshire up 15.49%. So not bad returns for everyone involved, but still have some ground to, to make up, and you know, you've been leading the entire time, so you are up on that one. Our second bet, which uh, if you're not familiar with this one, please check out our podcast from last week, but uh, I have MGM. Uh, the casino, and you have CrowdStrike, the security company. Uh, so MGM Resorts, since August 10th, um, up 74 bips, and you with uh, CrowdStrike up 4.38%. So you got jumped out to an early lead on that one. So up in both our bets, uh, it looks like I'm going to be paying you about 200 bucks as of now, but a lot of football left to play. Um, again, these are your bets, so... A lot, a lot more podcasts before we can declare victory here. Yeah, to go way back, at least with the uh, Berkshire Q's bet here, the the whole point of that one was, you know, my my point throwing some shade at, at our buddy Margarita Bill, as as many have over the last few months, pointing out that you know value investing is dead. And this is right about the time I think, um, you know, you just made some uh, purchases in the banking space, some really boring stuff. And we'll get to it a little later. My man Margarita Bill is doing some exciting stuff. Might even be a listener of the uh, the show with some of the moves uh, that Berkshire is making. But uh, it does appear that uh, value might be making a comeback, but I still stand by the thought that the unstoppable continued nature of the cues in tech uh, is really pretty much the safest market benchmark, I think, to, to compare against um, as far as any of the plays out there. So looking forward to chatting about uh, the previous week and what's coming up. Yeah, I figured we could review the Berkshire stuff right away because it is relevant and very topical for our bets. As you said, it seems that the Berkshire portfolio is a listener of the pod because Warren Buffett has dumped his financials and went into Barrick's Gold, a name you've recommended on this pod before. So what do you make of the Oracle's latest? What do I make? Well, I want to believe that this is a big old endorsement of uh, our precious metals and uh, something we've been talking about on the show for quite some time now. But the fact that he made, uh, or at least Berkshire made, 
uh, an investment in a miner, I also feel like validates some of the uh, prognostication I've had out there in the last couple of weeks, which even though gold has been, gold and silver have been surging despite some uh, pretty strong sell-off early in the week last week, uh, there's still a tremendous amount of value to be found in the miners whose values directly tied to the value of gold. However, uh, they're trading well below um, where they should be relative to you know gold's move, at least since the March lows there. Uh, so this combined with pulling out of the banks, I think is a, a pretty damning uh, lack of confidence sort of in the monetary policy right now and clearly feeling uh, not, not too bullish about the prospect for banks to be uh, seeing some rotation into value. So I think there's definitely plenty of risks uh, in the bank space. But um, with all the news that gold and silver have gotten, I think that's been written off by some people, especially with the selling early in the week is just a, a hot run, a bit of a fad. But uh, I think really we're just getting started here. Uh, and you know, the, the evidence of all of the inflation um, and lack of buying power um, that's been lost, which part of the reason why equities are so inflated is going to be even more visible and uh, going to continue to raise the prices of, of uh, precious metals there. So I think this is a great move for, for Margaritaville. You know, not a particularly large stake, the one that was taken in Barrick's Gold. Seen a lot of Galaxy Brain takes as far as whether he's testing the market here. The investors have thinking that the GOLD ticker was gold uh, as opposed to the GLD ETF. But uh I think anyone that has made that mistake would be pleasantly surprised with the returns from uh, Barrick Gold here. But GDX is definitely a, a great play to be, be looking at in, in that space. But um, spoken about the miners a lot. So I think this is a great move by, by Margaritaville. You know, Sharp still got it. So I got to give the guy some credit. He's, uh, he's barking up the right tree here. Yeah, I am happy to see him taking on some gold exposure. Yeah, through a, I'll be through a miner, which I agree with your take on that, that often the miners are a better way to play it than the actual commodity price. Uh, on the banks, you know, looking at what he did, uh, slash stakes and PNC, Goldman Sachs and JPM. Um, however, he has increased his stake. And, in Wells, Bank Fargo. Of, and Wells Fargo. Yeah, I forgot about uh, another favored uh, Brostoff pick on this podcast. Your child. But, uh, you know, has, has increased his stake in Bank of America, so perhaps looking to be a bit of a stock picker in the financial sector. So I, don't, I think it's unfair to say he's given up on banks, maybe just reallocated to one he likes more than the other ones. Yeah, so at the very least, it's very interesting that it looks like he's starting to, to make some moves here, considering how much cash has been on the sidelines. Um, but I think the timing is also pretty interesting. Um, and anyone that's been courting that, that precious metals market, uh, I think you can really consider that selling earlier in the week to be a, a buy the dip opportunity. And by close Friday, a decent amount of what was lost in that, that selling earlier in the week had been regained. Um, and looking at futures, it doesn't look like, you know, there's any sell off, even though they are pretty volatile, especially silver, and that can change at any moment. But uh, I think it is a great time to enter if you haven't already or certainly add to your position, um, whether it's just through uh, those, those ETFs, GLD and SLV, which track the spot price of uh, the different metals. But um, just another reminder that miners are a great play and tremendous value in a space that has a lot of upside and a great narrative to think around it, um, considering some of the uh, fear-mongering that, that a lot of prognosticators have about what the current fiscal and monetary policies is going to do uh, to the economy and economics, at least at a consumer level. Yeah, this might have been an interesting week to get in. It, kind of as you predicted, there was a dollar squeeze and we did see GLD and SLVs uh, 
tail off a bit. So I, I took it as an opportunity to buy in for a little bit more. Uh, but last week was pretty eventful. So let's get into it and talk about what happened last week. Pretty eventful. I don't, I don't know what week you were watching. That was uh, kind of a snooze fest, I would say, last week, just because with the, the narrative around the markets continuing to be uh, the SPX, SP500, SPY, uh, going for all-time highs, uh, there were several, I don't know if I'd call them runs at that all-time highs, but uh, clearly an effort to, to get the level we hit 338 twice on the, the SPY, the S&P 500 ETF last week um, on Wednesday and Thursday after a bit of selling on Tuesday, but we've seen uh, some, some very uh, strong dip buying and uh, that, that level that any sell is able to hit is continuing to go up, but with that double top at 338 and then Friday topping out at 337, uh, the S&P 500 uh, SPY is definitely wedging um, to pretty tight, narrow range there uh, without any real conviction about moving up and breaking through that all-time high uh, or selling off to retest some of the recent lows, which you know, selling off at this point really means just checking in at either 335 or 332. 332 was sort of a low last week. Um, but you know, I don't think there is any reason to think that a retest of 330 uh, in, in the next week would, would be out of line with a, a move up past uh, that, that all-time high. But for the time being, it seems like there's uh, a lot of just hands in pockets waiting and seeing here. Clearly, optimism around a stimulus bill, even though Congress is recessed till September, um, does seem like all of the reporting is uh, sounds like they are pretty deadlocked there. So, despite the executive orders, which you know, there's still some some questions to be answered as far as you know how legitimate those will be or, or if they will hold up, you know, long enough to to make an impact. Um, without any type of legal uh, challenge there. So I think that we should see some resolution next week, but uh, it's, it's hard to say whether it will be up or down. I think the, the magnet pulling the market is still up towards that 339 all-time level for the, the S&P 500. Um, but at the same time, it does look like there is a bit of exhaustion with the buying. So a strong positive cat- catalyst would absolutely send the market through, through that level. And certainly when you get all-time highs, whether it's uh, an ETF like this or stock, it doesn't just stop at that all-time high. It's going to keep going. So you can expect a pretty decent rally on that. But considering how the market's been reacting to anything that could be viewed even remotely positive, I mean, if the government just puts out some numbers, then that's generally going to be viewed positively uh, considering the, the jobs and, and other uh, indicators. So maybe if we get a nice vaccine pump, which seems to be pretty reliable, uh, that, that could push us through. But otherwise, um, we're stuck in this tight, narrow range, especially being OPEX week. So the likelihood for a major sell-off and sustained lows uh, or a huge move up um, and holding above maybe even a 340 level uh, seems seems a, a little unlikely. But at the same time, OPEX can be pretty exciting. So um, not not too much, I feel like, to look at last week. A lot of things were flat. IWM, uh, the Qs, VIX grinding down slowly. Absolutely no excitement on the VIX front. Um, and even with the precious metals selling then being bought up, there there isn't a strong direction anywhere, no matter which indicator we're looking at, uh, to indicate that you know a strong sell is coming or uh, this rally is really going to push through that level. So uh, interested to see what, what really made the, the week uh, exciting for you, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I was in that word choice. I was mainly thinking about the precious metal sell-off. I mean, I think GLD came down quite a bit. What opened the week at 190 and then quickly dipped down to the low 180s. I suppose on the 
individual stocks run. I mean, Apple definitely caught a bid and we saw that kind of soar to new levels, apparently driven by the stock split. Tesla also running a little bit on the announcement of the stock split, which was old news, right? That was not this week's news. Um, so I, I think on SPY, we're probably like roughly flat for the week. But I do see your point. Uh, it's it's not like this was a crazy earnings week and we saw high volatility. You know, as you said, VIX kind of taking lower. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll back off of my eventful statement. To me, anything where we don't see a, a big move up or a big move down feels eventful in the sense that that kind of has been the exception um, since uh, March twenty the March twenty third lows were hit. Right, either we're seeing uh, a big move up or a big move down or a sector rotation. Uh, this was kind of maybe the first week where things, for the most part, stayed where they were. Uh, I'll put this out later on postcoronastocks.com, but the, the sector performance since February 21st, which to me marks the beginning of the post-corona era, um, most sectors pretty much staying flat. Tech still up 14%, SPY up a couple percent on the year, and then utilities, real estate, and financials continuing to be down double digits. So... Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll reverse on my eventful statement. Maybe that was just a transition to get you to talk a bit. But uh, yeah, we can, we can move off last week and we can talk about the week ahead because you've laid out a couple different pathways for where we go from here. So interested to talk about the three you sent me in the notes. Yeah, and in brief sidebar, I mean, Tesla pumping on news that they're going to uh, do a five to one stock split. I wouldn't be surprised if just about any name that's run up a whole bunch uh, the Microsofts, Amazons, you know, are going to announce a stock a stock split considering what it's done for, for Apple and Tesla in the last week. So Margaritaville comes out and announces a stock split for Berkshire. Who knows if you'd ever do that? But I think that would uh, definitely get me on board and uh, a big, big fan of, of uh, Buffett there. Um, but looking ahead, you know, I, I allow you to reserve uh, your right to, to an exciting week next week because I think that we hopefully will see a little more at least volatility uh, if, if not, you know, something that's just not grinding through the same range. And I really see kind of three, three paths forward here since when price starts moving into a wedge like this uh, with lower highs and then higher lows, uh, it, it works to a point and then will eventually resolve either with a big move up or down. Um, so, you know, not, not very, uh, <laughs> risky, risky here saying it could go up or down, but as I pointed out, I mean, the narrative is still uh, a move to the all time highs, um, whether that comes earlier in the week or later in the week. Uh, and that should be a pretty strong move again, getting past that 339 level, uh, see the next pivot around 342 on the spy. So, um, if you get in at the right time, um, buy the right dip for that, that should be a pretty strong rally. Um, but the risk here is that with the the lower highs, uh, there's clearly not as much acceptance of the price at that level, or you're not finding as many enthusiastic buyers there. Whereas anyone will, uh, you know, there, there's some guys with some pretty heavy bags with Apple at 464. Um, for whatever reason, Spy can't get that same type of love to really push it up to uh, another stratosphere. And so one thing Friday that stood out to me uh, were the number of dark pool prints, uh, most of which had the sell signature. Uh, so those were sold short. Um, the average value, or this was significantly over the average value. So we saw 26 prints um, at a overall value of about 3.7 billion with an average price of uh, 336.90. So when you see that type of volume and it's at a price above where the market closed and above where most of the action was for the day. Uh, that's an indicator to me that there's at least a, a bearish sentiment 
in in the near term future. So there's definitely uh, an opportunity for the market to move down next week. But as I pointed out, there's definitely been strong buying at several different levels. Um, and really, the the sell off last Tuesday got turned around pretty quickly at 332, and we always see a a pretty impressive uh, stick save, just huge volume buy coming at the end of the day. Anytime it looks like a bit of selling is going, so there's certainly wouldn't call this a rug pull, but I think retesting of that 332 level and 333 in the early part of the week um, would give the market a bit of a reset and the ability to fuel up for a a big move upward uh, to that and then past that, that all-time high. So, in, in addition to going up or going down, the third option here is it just stays in this 335 to 338 range without any strong resolution. It is summertime. Uh, volume is down um, a bit, so we're not seeing as much participation as maybe in a month or so when everyone gets off their, their vacation. So I think it's pers- perfectly reasonable to also you know, look for an inside week here where, where there's not too much happening. Um, but again, with the amount of volume coming on Friday, uh, there's an expectation of some move earlier in the week. I'm leaning towards down, but I don't think that means that this is you know start of downtrend or a big down move. Um, but I don't think we're hitting that all-time high on Monday, uh, potentially Tuesday, but it would set up for a nice move up into OPEX, uh, finish off the week strong with a nice Friday patriotic gap up and melt up uh, into the next week type move that we've been seeing this summer, especially with some of the jobs data coming out. But uh, interested to see what direction you think uh, the, the price action will take here in the week ahead, Ben. Yeah, I think I'd reiterate what I've said on previous shows, where if we keep seeing a move up, it's going to be the sectors that perhaps haven't caught as much love in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Barron's had an interesting article this weekend about small caps, which have been on a bit of a run recently. Um, Stock I own Chef, uh, Chef's Warehouse. They're a supplier of gourmet foods um, to a number of restaurants. Uh, I thought their second quarter earnings were nothing to write home about. You know, They protected the balance sheet. They have plenty of liquidity. But they're seeing a lot of their customers not have such great quarters. Um, so really, you know, revenue's down 51%. Not the best quarter for Chef. Some of that was priced in. But Chef, I mean, has is, is pretty much been on fire the last couple of weeks. I think it went from 11 to 15 bucks. So I, I buy into small caps, catching a bit of a, a bid here. Uh, maybe we're also seeing the return to work, uh, end of coronavirus trade come back as it, as it is prone to do from time to time. So if we do take another leg up, I think it's not tech leading um, the up move. It's maybe utilities and banks and real estates. Um, I'd be interested to hear if, if we see a move down like you've kind of laid out in one of your scenarios. Is it tech selling off or which of the sectors really leads to the sell off there? Well, the way I view it here is that um, with tech looking pretty, pretty exhausted from carrying the market, um, sitting basically unchanged for the last week, if there's going to be a move up, then it's going to have to be with tech also uh, showing some strength there. Um, a, a pretty strong day for tech has, has usually um, stemmed off any big sells in either the S&P 500 or once the uh, IWM, the small cap, uh, 2000 starts selling off. So if you see weakness in the queues, I think that really holds back the rest of the market. Again, these are sort of the bellwether. Um, Apple is going to get bought at, at you know just about any price. So if we see Apple start selling off, I feel like that has is going to create so much general weakness or get a, a sell going that uh, it would be hard to get momentum elsewhere. And that narrative
narrative of a move to value still exists, but it doesn't look like, you know, despite showing signs of life, the financials, which are pretty heavily represented in the IWM, um, haven't really been able to make any progress considering how down they are even from uh, relative to um, the recent highs since, since March. So there needs to be some type of positive catalyst in, in banking. And right now, um, there just really isn't with rates so low, uh, high risk on, on different consumer debt. Um, that I just don't see a lot of upside in banking, even though there's great value and you would expect that rotation into that particular market. Um, if there is a sell-off, the queues are going to be leading the way and everything is going to feel the hurt. Um, but if, if the queues are flat to down and you, we start seeing rally elsewhere, um, that's, that's probably not going to have the head of steam it needs to break through uh, unless the queues are also rallying at the same time. And you can really just look at what Apple's doing that day. So if, if Apple's not catching a bid, then you're not going to see too much activity elsewhere, or that's probably becoming one of the better indicators just for general market sentiment if you're just looking at one ticker. Yeah, let's play this chess game out a little bit. So let's say we do see a sell-off in this week or coming weeks. What names are you looking to buy in that scenario? Well, anytime there's a dip at this point, clearly you're going to buy some Apple. Um, I think that the, the dip buying has been strong across the tech front. Um, so that that is an area that's starved for any type of value. So um, even a 2 to 3% sell-off, there's going to be some type of bounce there. Um, the, the buying the dip mentality is still strong and it's going to take more than you know, a half percent sell-off in an afternoon to really shake um, any of the, the buy-the-dip uh, faithful from, from not doing that. Um, but any of the stocks that have, have run up, particularly, you know, the NVIDIAs of the world, and I still see a lot of uh, upside potential for, for Microsoft in, in a relative value sense, at least compared to um, Apple's and the Facebook's. But the FANG stocks, anytime there's a dip until further notice, until there's a general market-wide trend, um, you're going to be looking to buy there. I mean, buying dips elsewhere has, has generally left... Uh, uh, a lot of bag holders um, since we have seen the cloud space cool off. That's an area where, you know, I'm buying the general sort of sector wide dip, but um, those might actually be a little more resilient in a large sell off, not being as exposed um, to the different indexes. But if the, if this does turn into a market wide sell off, I'm, I'm not trying to have as much exposure to those stocks that are really heavily weighted in the indexes. But um, if they are going to be, uh, bought up very quickly, then I think your, your safest bet on a rebound is going to be a play like Apple, considering the momentum there. Uh, and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Um, but even if you could get as low as, you know, a, a 450 entry in the next week, I think that you could find uh, a nice little trade to be, to be made there. Um, just timing a, a nice low point since we have seen a little up and down action. But it's still the same names and the paradigm hasn't really shifted. You know, I don't think there's a strong sentiment towards back to work. Uh, offices aren't really reopening. Everyone is pretty much acclimated to a much different lifestyle and work style. Uh, and there's not a lot to indicate that things like business travel are coming back the same way or just any travel in general. Um, the same way that that would be expected, and especially with the election season coming up, uh, I think it's more likely to expect that the status quo is just maintained um, for the foreseeable future versus a continued move towards reopening, at least here locally in uh, Massachusetts, we've seen some of the, the reopening paused indefinitely on different things like events. Um, so without any real timetable there or, you know, anything to hold anyone's feet to the fire, there isn't really a time frame I think you can plan around there versus the ongoing expectation that a vaccine is really going to open up um, the, the return to, to normal with the uh, air quotes uh, normal. 
Yeah, it's interesting to hear you mention the cloud space has cooled off a little bit. What immediately came to mind for me was that I've opened new positions in Twilio and Cloudflare in the last three weeks. Both of them are down uh, anywhere from 5 to 10%. And to me, I mean, I've done some dip buying. I, I bought more of both names. But it does make you wonder, for a lot of the cloud space, a lot of those names are valued at 20, 30, 40 times plus revenue. In the case of something like Shopify, I think we're at, at 80x. So if you want to justify that valuation, right, you have to go out and say in five years, is this stock producing positive cash flow? Is it producing earnings? And if so, uh, what, what multiples are trading at? And it's, it's really impossible to get there for, for some of the names. I admit this is the case for things I own. Um, so as a, if you're a valuation-based inv- investor or someone who's trying to make sense of what these cloud stocks are trading at, uh, a sell-off isn't necessarily due to the, uh, the business prospects being worse. It could just be that these stocks were massively inflated to begin with. Um, so I think that is something I'm concerned about. I think we are living through a bit of a, a tech bubble. You look at how the NASDAQ has performed relative to something like the Dow Jones. Uh, it defies the mind. So I, I would say you know, for my own portfolio, I am concerned about seeing a, a re-rating of the cloud stocks and seeing something like the normal 20x revenue multiple going away. Does that concern you at all? Or do you think cloud stocks continue to hold as we move forward here? Well, there, there's no doubt that they've definitely run up a whole bunch and are certainly inflated uh, in terms of their earnings multiple. But I think the, the narrative there and the growth story is much, much stronger for a lot of these software as a service uh, type stocks that have been pretty popular, plays like Fastly. Uh, my darling CrowdStrike, which um, certainly run up and is getting some some side eye type uh, evaluations as far as can it actually grow into that that type of multiple. Um, but it seems a lot more realistic in in that type of space, especially with SaaS type stuff versus e-commerce and online retail, which I'm not particularly bullish on just because as at least I've mentioned to you uh, off air before, I don't think you can really in, innovate on just selling stuff you know cheaper than your competitors or you know just now having a new marketplace online to sell your thing is not exactly innovative you just have a new sales channel so you'll you'll find sales growth there and especially with uh online retail being pretty much the only way that you can shop for most things these days it's no surprise that uh we have seen some some big numbers in the last quarter and i'll also point out that uh with all of the fed stimulus and uh eviction protection you've got helicopter money coming in left and right to um consumers in the m2 money supply that's going to be working its way into iPhones, different uh, retail goods, uh, clothing, um, items like that. So it's not surprising to see such strong quarters last quarter, considering a lot of the uh, economic uh, indicators pointing to general um, macro trouble, at least on the individual consumer level. Uh, there's a lot more expendable money that just came to people's hands and just being at home, being bored, you're just going to buy stuff. That seems to be, you know, what the general mass uh, herd behavior is. Uh, so if we're not continuing to see that type of uh, stimulus money just get pumped into um, consumers and have them, you know, have that, that flexibility and not be as pressured to save um, as they should be doing, then you're going to continue to see a lot of retail strength. But in the cloud space, I think that there is definitely an ability to grow and scale that uh, in a way that, um, you know, not, not being as limited to the different monetary trends uh, in, in different consumer 
trends definitely presents uh, at least a pathway um, to to growing into those um, different multiples. So I would definitely feel stronger about the cloud space actually being able to realize um, some of those those lofty goals. And I think you can look at some of these sell-offs more as profit-taking uh, in a space where it is a little, you know, lofty, some of the expectations. There's a very little margin for error there. Uh, but the earnings were still good across the board with raised guidance in a world of um, a lot of withdrawn guidance. So um, for a fundamental guy like you, even though it doesn't represent value, you got to feel a lot better um, about the story there, both from a product standpoint, but also in terms of the growth actually being represented in, in what you're seeing in earnings versus just a great quarter uh, that wasn't as bad as expected, which is uh, raised to some plays up there. But uh, um, interested to get your feedback there. And then I got a couple plays for the week coming up. Don't know if these are long-term investments, but uh, with a lot of uncertainty, there's certainly you know, some nice trades to be made on a, on a short-term scale. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you on the last point on cloud. Um, I think this, the stim money isn't really driving any of the, the cloud stocks, at least as it relates to spend on some of the cloud services, right? Like you look at um, Cloudflare's call, right? They're hearing that they are an essential service um, for companies that are using them. And I think that's the case for the cloud stocks are getting a lot of love. You know, it's difficult to pull something like Datadog, um, like Cloudflare, like AWS out of your stack. These are things developers use every day. Uh, in the case of some of the more security-prone products like um, like a FireEye or CrowdStrike, it's like there's no way in hell uh, you're going to get rid of that. It's just too essential, especially in today's environment where the cybersecurity threats seem to tick up day by day. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to be more resilient to kind of a, a valuation multiple shrinkage um, than you might see like than something like e-commerce. So that does make me feel a bit better. Uh, we can move on to your picks. You, I know you had a couple thoughts on DraftKings and um, a, a big announcement that was made around player entries. Uh, if you want to talk about that first, and then we can go on to your pick second. Well, I'll tell you one stock I'm not comfortable being long in, and this is one that I was super bullish on just a couple weeks ago and still love the product, love the company, but... Uh, DraftKings, I don't think we got into them in the earnings on the last podcast, but they reported last week, uh, posted a second quarter loss of $161.4 million or $0.55 cents a share uh, compared to a loss of $28 million or $0.15 cents per share the same quarter last year. Um, so sold off about 5% pre-market trading Friday, which is definitely disappointing, but to be expected with um, pretty paltry uh amount of sports happening in the second quarter. Uh, would expect that to be up in the third quarter, but what's even more concerning is news that came out that the IRS uh, is planning to put an excise tax on uh, contests or daily fantasy contests um, since those apparently these uh, taking those taking wagers must register with the IRS. Uh, so I've seen some analysts use uh, some, some pretty uh, drastic terminology, calling it potentially industry-destroying. Um, but it is kind of funny that in a race to cut taxes for consumers as much as they can with Donald Trump talking about uh, eliminating the payroll tax if he gets elected um, starting next year in an effort to basically print as much money as you can. The IRS is finding a way to squeeze you know, one of my favorite companies who's already sorted down and out and facing uh, a lot of uphill headwind uh, with you know some of the sports, college football basically being canceled here. Uh, NFL still looks like it's on, and you know the the MLB still continues to play, uh, but we're not looking at a return to normal at least in sports and the the volume of contests um, that one probably would have expected right about when the the IPO came. 
uh, earlier this spring. So very tragic to see that it does look like there's very limited upside, at least in the near term for, for DraftKings. But uh, hopefully it can find a bottom soon because I'm still bullish on it long term. Um, and I think if there's one one space that definitely benefits from uh, a vaccine or return to normal, um, that would be DraftKings. I feel like the the narrative there is pretty strong, and there there had been a lot of bullishness into the company going into earnings. But um, for being one that we've mentioned on on the podcast and uh, sank sank my um, entry to to our Wall Street bets game a couple of weeks ago, you know I'd hope for better things for DraftKings, but it's it's not looking good. Yeah, I think I'm long term bullish on DraftKings as well, but more so on MGM, which obviously we have another bet on. I'm wondering if MGM having kind of a substandard week, especially after IAC put a billion dollars in it last week and took on a pretty big equity stake. I'm wondering if the DraftKings news impacted them as well, because obviously something like taxes on entry fees, you could easily see carrying over into any type of digital gambling, not only sports, but if you're looking for something like roulette or blackjack, that's going to be played online. uh, Maybe there are tax laws that enter into that as well that said i think the digital gaming space is so huge that any incremental move in margins is not likely to unravel the entire story Um, and nothing set in stone here either right like we don't actually know where this regulatory thing is going to land i think we've seen the same thing in online ads and social media in general you'll see these things sell off because there's some fears about what will happen with congress and the most recent investigation into Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, the list goes on. Um, that blows over in several weeks, and then you know they all catch a vid afterwards. So this might be a dip-buying opportunity for DraftKings, as well as other names in the space. Um, so I am not too concerned, and I remain bullish long-term. Uh, good to hear we're in the same boat there. But yeah, um, too bad for DraftKings. But let's, uh, let's talk about some of your picks for the week ahead and the, the time forward. Yeah, just the type DraftKings. Um, I think there's definitely a good buying opportunity if it dips below 30, which kind of seems reasonable at this point. Um, but has been a popular play and could also be subject to some of that rotation out of growth um, that we've been seeing. So there, there may be a couple of different factors affecting it. But uh, considering how some of our, our prize horses in previous weeks um, have been a little bit down and out, um, there, there's a couple new places or rather some of the same places, but can look at them again for, for some plays coming up. Uh, like we talked about earlier, I think that there is a great opportunity to buy the dips on uh, precious metals. The, the DXY dollar index uh, slowly moving down towards the end of the week. would love to see that below 93 um, for another strong move up for, for gold and silver. Um, but as we talked about on the top of the show here, miners, again, um, especially considering the movement on Barrick's Gold and GDX uh, after hours Friday, uh, shows that investors are piling in. So if you weren't sold already, uh, and it did seem like investors weren't really sold on the, the gold and silver rally, and that could be some of the reason why why miners have failed to really take off uh, over the last month while, while gold and silver were surging. Um, but I think getting the blessing of, of Margaritaville is more than enough to get um, a lot of new investors in that space. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those plays, GDX, Barracks Gold, which is G- GOLD, uh, Newmont, NEM, um, and then AUI and KGC uh, continue to have uh, a nice move up after selling off a bit and showing uh, a little, it, even more weakness than, than gold itself last week. So that's a great dip buying opportunity. Um, but one, one interesting side effect of uh, what appears to be at least an endorsement of precious metals by uh, Warren Buffett is uh, the strong move in crypto. And particularly at the end of the week, uh, it looks like Bitcoin is making, uh, is setting up for a decisive move above 12K, which breached 
couple weekends ago and then sold off sharply um, not not too long afterwards. But uh, with, as we talked about last week, the appearance of that crypto is starting to become viewed as a risk asset um, and will be in theory, moving pretty pretty tightly correlated with um, the other precious metals, gold and silver, um, there's definitely an opportunity to to get some some more crypto exposure in the market. So we've talked about Riot and Marathon uh, in previous weeks, um, and especially after that sell off a couple weekends ago, um, some weakness there. But uh, heavy call buying um, for the four dollar Riot weeklies on Friday and the five dollar Marathon weeklies. Um, shows that there's definitely bets being made out there on a strong move up in uh, crypto in the early part of the week. And the interesting thing about getting exposure to crypto, particularly Bitcoin through stocks versus um, buying the actual crypto itself, is how much these uh, both mining and blockchain stocks uh, appear to really outperform um, Bitcoin, particularly on, on large moves. So Basically, as soon as crypto is trending, you can expect a strong move from those two plays, right? And Marathon, uh, at the same time, they are just as volatile. If there's a sell-off um, in, in Bitcoin, you're probably not going to be able to protect as much value. But I wouldn't be surprised to see another 20, 30% move uh, in early trading, either Monday or Tuesday, if we do see um, Bitcoin over 12K. Um, so those are ones that are definitely pretty attractive to uh, the Robinhood retail investors, we've seen Marathon at least in a top 10 uh, position in Robinhood Holdings um, the last time they, they made a move. Um, so it's definitely on the radar of a lot of the traders that would send some of these lower market cap, uh, lower float stocks um, into the stratosphere. So that's that's one I feel comfortable taking uh, a lotto on considering everyone piling in on, on Friday. Uh, but that also just requires Bitcoin to continue moving up. Uh, and with a strong move from Ethereum on Friday, uh, it does look like there is some some stabilization and consolidation around these higher prices, which you always want to see before a move up. Um, so if you're feeling uh, a little spicy, definitely look to get some exposure to some of those crypto stocks. It looks like this is a good week for it. And one more play I wanted to throw out this week um, that I've been watching for a bit is Kratos Defense and Security Solutions, uh, ticker KTOS. Uh, they hit my radar a couple of weeks ago, um, testing the, the $20 level, which has been a key resistance for uh, Kratos um, over the, the last couple months um, and failed to really hold at that level. But um, Friday saw a sharp move to to $20 before selling off a bit. And a little background on Kratos. Uh, they are purveyors of fine defense products like drones and also directed energy weapons. Um, World Trade Center 7 might want to have a word with them. Uh, but they made a strong move a couple weeks ago on news that they scored an Air Force contract for $400 million. Uh, saw some strong earnings from them the last time they reported. Uh, and there's been rumors of a potential Lockheed buyout as Lockheed is looking for a pure play defense uh, acquisition. So uh, Lockheed looking to get a little less exposure to the commercial airline space and get a little more into defense. They also just locked down a deal selling some jets to Taiwan. Uh, so not that anyone wants to see escalation and some more serious war footing across the world. Uh, but that is the nature of the world we live in. So um, to have this type of risk reward in a defense um, stock that doesn't really exist. A lot of them are more institutional names, uh, not going to have this type of movement. So in the unfortunate circumstance where we do see some ramping up of uh, 
of security forces, whether domestically or overseas, um, definitely see a lot of potential. And what really stands out to me about Kratos KTOS, uh, we've got a textbook uh, cup and handle formation here on the daily chart. Uh, so basically that means a test and failure of, of a resistance, a slow gradual sell-off met by a slow gradual uh, rally, another uh, test of that level, which in this case is 20 bucks, um, a slight sell-off, but a shallower uh, dip there um, before another test. So generally the cup and handle is uh, has one of the best um, ROI in terms of trade signals, um, usually a strong move up. And we saw a cup and handle on both gold and silver uh, before their huge moves a couple of months ago, just to name a few tickers. Uh, so from both a technical standpoint and a narrative standpoint there, uh, as well as the, the heavy call buying Friday morning for the $20 uh, weekly on on KTOS. This is one that I'll be interested to see. And with upside looking like it could move to 25 bucks, which would be the uh, previous all-time high, um, there's definitely some some strong potential here, um, especially if we do get some uh, news that would otherwise uh, make the market a little more or, or give the market some trepidation. Usually uh, news of war will, will result in some type of sell-off. Um, I think this is a, a play to to hedge against at least that that possibility. Um, and a good one to to stash in your portfolio if there does come to be uh, any truth to those those Lockheed rumors. But uh, for now, those are just rumors. Um, and I do see that that technical play to be enough to at least watch the stock, especially with a strong move over twenty bucks. Closed at nineteen eighty eight on Friday. Uh, so if it opens above twenty bucks with uh, some of that pre market action, then uh, it's probably off to the races for KTOS. Yeah, acquisition type plays like that always scare me because they, things can fall apart so quickly. On the other hand, you also could have another buyer enter the race and see kind of a a buyout um, type war and a bidding war take place. So it could go either way. Um, the uh, the riot um, recommendation I think is kind of interesting. I was just looking at the option chain. So three seventy eight dollar stock. Um, the 350 calls for uh, August 21st are trading at, uh, I think the bid was 35 cents. So you're looking at like a option price uh, for a seven day expiration that is like 13% of, of what the stock is trading at. Almost makes you want to sell options. But again, with something as volatile as, uh, as Riot, like you're going to get run over if you try to sell options. So very interesting. I mean, I, I think both are going to be pretty high volatility and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching them both. Um, anything else on, on picks or do you want to move on to um, some retail um, shoe sellers that both of us are interested in? Yeah, real quick, um, just for, for Riot and Marathon, that is a good point. I mean, they are uh, just as likely to, to take um, a 15% dip is, is get on a 15% run, um, especially with uh, that type of activity in the options front. But with both uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, the two, two larger coins, um, showing some stability and also um, it looks like we have a bottom, you know, probably in the 350 range for Riot. Um, it does look like they've they've shown some um, stability above the the previous levels. They were trading at about 250. Um, both of them track pretty closely. Uh, the last time I was in that play, and it does look like there there is some some support to be found at the three dollar level. So it might not be a bad one to stash and hold, just because if we do see uh, a crypto bubble or boom again. 
uh, hitting some of the previous all-time highs. Uh, you can expect both Rip, uh, Riot and Marathon to be several multiples of, of where they're at now. So you're, you're definitely trying to front run a move there versus sort of sound fundamental or technical trading. Uh, but I think you there definitely are some worse lotto tickets out there and I'd probably take this over some of the SPAC plays that, that people have been just sort of piling into. So final thoughts there and happy to move on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at a certain point, the crypto trade, at least in, in terms of ways to play it through publicly traded equities, it's supply and demand, right? Like there aren't that many pure play blockchain crypto stocks out there. So you had made this comparison. It feels reminiscent of the marijuana trade, right? Where you basically just had Canopy and uh, Tilray and a few others that you could trade and they would surge every once in a while. Uh, there's only a few names, it seems like, in the public markets that are proxies for Bitcoin and Ethereum. I wish Coinbase were public because they would be interesting to trade. Uh, but they're definitely going to get squeezed up um, the second you see the, the crypto names move. So pretty yeah. interesting. Final thoughts and hot take for the week. Crypto stocks will be the new weed stocks before weed stocks become the new weed stocks around election season. So look forward to that in a future episode. Definitely see some some hype around uh, further legalization. But for the time being, I just you know want to remind you. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> okay, let's move on to two retail names that both of us strangely found ourselves looking at over the weekend. Um, Skechers and Crocs. I want to give a quick background on Crocs. This has come up in a few screens I've done um, on different stock screeners for kind of retail names that have performed well post-COVID. Um, so in my opinion, Crocs has posted two pretty good quarters since the beginning of COVID-19. Uh, it's Q1 and Q2. I, I think we're above expectations. Um, looked a bit. It's Q2 call over the weekend. Crocs, while well, isn't issuing formal guidance, thinks uh, yeah, informally, it's going to be flat on revenue for the year. They've seen triple-digit revenue growth um, on the e-commerce side, really strong growth in the Americas, Korea, China. Um, you know, they have these partnerships they do with different brands. One of them being Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. Their KFC partnership, you know, they sold a limited edition Crocs um, that had kind of a little, you know, plastic uh, chicken wing on it, but the thing sold out within 30 minutes. Um, it's a pretty beloved brand. I think COVID gave it a second life because uh, you know these plastic sandal things are very popular among healthcare workers. Um, you know, hats off to their CEO for donating close to a million pairs of shoes um, to our essential workers on the front line. So I think that did a ton for the brand. I mean, people who who have worn it for years uh, are a huge fan of Crocs. I think they're very comfortable. They're easy to clean. You can put them in the dishwasher. So. Um, I'm interested to see how the stock performs over the next couple of years. Um, you know, it's it's back, pretty close to what it was pre-COVID. But from an EPS perspective, um, you look at the estimates for Crocs, um, it could do anywhere from 2 to $3 per share in 2021. Stock trades in the high 30s right now. So if you think it could trade at 20 to 30 times earnings, which for a growth stock isn't totally unreasonable, um, I think this this definitely could be a sixty or seventy dollars stock long term. So one of the few retail names I'm finding that I'm kind of interested in owning. Uh, my portfolio is so tilted towards technology and the cloud. Um, it's great to finally see a, a typical shoe seller um, that's gaining market share kind of pop up on my radar. But I know you're not the biggest fan of Crocs, and you immediately countered that Skechers is something you think would outperform it. So I would love your two cents there. Well, let me first ask you this, Ben. Have you ever owned a pair of Crocs? 
I haven't. But again, I, I I don't think that's a reason not to own the stock. It just may not be your uh, it may not be your scene, but it's a beloved product. Clearly, I mean, I don't think there are that many companies that can sell out a shoe I mean, other than Air Jordan in thirty minutes of announcing it. So, uh, I yes, to answer your question, I've never bought Crocs and probably will never own them. So let, let me point out to, to your point, you are right. You, you don't need to necessarily have owned or interacted with a product to be very bullish on a company. But, uh, you know, when you sent me that text about uh, feeling, feeling particularly bullish on Crocs, I just instantly knew this is, this is dumb for some reason, but I, I just couldn't figure it out at the time. And I think as a trader, one of the good things to do is for, force yourself to be looking at uh, a lot of different, not just sectors, but individual tickers that wouldn't necessarily be on your radar uh, to see if if you have any blind spots or might be missing out on some some good opportunities there. So you sent me that, looked into to Crocs, and there's definitely a strong up channel. Um, the stock's been moving um, the last month or so, definitely had strong earnings. But the thought in my head here is what what is the narrative? You know, there, there was some strong earnings and you all chalk that up to uh, more more government helicopter bucks coming into the hands of people that would buy these hideous shoes. Uh, and, and my thought is, you know, how much of this is is Crocs being, in your words, a, a beloved brand uh, versus just sort of being lifted by the rising tide of uh, a lot of discretionary income being out in the hands of people that would actually buy these abominations? Because I personally, if I were to look at it, I don't see, you know, how a shoe that hasn't if we can call it a shoe that hasn't essentially been changed since its inception and has been uh, otherwise a pretty disappointing um, publicly traded stock until very, very recently would now all of a sudden be something that really piques your interest. And, you know, maybe it's the uh, in-app equivalent of little uh, tchotchkes you can put on your shoes, these, these giblets or whatever they're called. You know, if, if that's what really represent represents upside for the stock, then I feel like that's, that's definitely not strong enough. So my thought here is, okay, if, if this stupid shoe brand, you know, is, is getting a lot of uh, frothy interest from um, some, some really smart investors like yourself, you know, why isn't another dumb shoe brand uh, generating the same type of interest? Or rather, is there another dumb shoe brand that is showing the same type of uh, tailwind from I- increased uh, consumer spending? And that dumb shoe brand for me was Skechers. And so my, my whole thesis here is that what's good for Crocs is good for Skechers. And if Skechers hasn't had that run that Crocs has, why would you not be interested in a play like that if it represents better value for the same reasons, dumb shoes that, you know, people are going to buy when they have, have money to buy dumb shoes. I'm not going to buy them. You're not going to buy them. I don't see a, a great, um, you know, takeover there being able to really capture market share unless you got like a, a Yeezy Croc coming out. But looking at the numbers, I feel pretty strongly about there, there being a much better play here for Skechers than Crocs if this is a play that you're trying to take, which I certainly not. And so in the battle of the lame footwear, um, we're basically looking Looking at uh, Skechers ticker SKX being down about 20% year to date, while uh, Crocs is down less than 10%, especially ice Skechers hasn't gotten the same type of run. You know, I definitely see a, a better opportunity there. So, for example, Crocs about 50% of their sales from US, whereas Skechers is only about 40%. Um, so that definitely puts a lot more exposure to uh, any quarantine or COVID-related. Um, shutdowns um, in in the Crocs department there, but also Skechers has a much stronger balance sheet with 1.2 billion in cash reserves to Crocs with just 100 million. So that should definitely get your fundamental and 10A uh, up up right there. 
And then also uh, Skechers is a much bigger retail footprint at um, 1,150 stores versus 370 for Crocs. Um, and part of the success story, at least the last time for earnings for Skechers, was an increase in digital revenue. So uh, shoes being sold online and probably a larger store footprint could be a larger liability right now than it is um, a, a boon to their sales and being able to grow numbers. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me for Skechers was strong sales growth in China up over 11.5% last quarter. Um, did not see similar figures for Crocs. So maybe they've also had good China growth there. But whole point being here, if you're going to get excited about Crocs, then why isn't Skechers looking like an even more enticing play considering it hasn't been on a crazy run up and hasn't already gotten uh, that, that type of uh, Momo investor to, to pile in. So this is a bet that I'm, I'm very excited to take, especially since we've been doing some betting here. So uh, if we're going to bet Skechers versus Crocs, um, if, if over whatever time frame we, we plan here, if Skechers outperforms Crocs, I think you need to get me a pair of Crocs. Um, if if uh, Crocs outperforms Skechers, then maybe I get you a pair of Skechers. I guess if I had to choose between uh, which pair of dumb shoes I'd wear, it might be, uh, it might be Crocs there. So I'll let you uh, fire back on your counter proposal there. But I think you should sure. hear enough uh, here to, to know that, you know, you might be in trouble with, with yet another bet. So I might want to own both, but, but a couple of words on some of your comments. So I think it's more than just a beloved brand that's driving the story for me. So from a, a data numbers perspective, I think one thing I'm really excited about for Crocs is the increase in operating margin, the increase in earnings during a time when revenue is actually down. So they're slightly down through the second ha first half of the year. Um, they expect to be flat for the entire year. But the reason margins are ticking up, so it's about 150 bips increase on operating margin for the second quarter, is they're selling more digitally. So um, Crocs wanted to be 31% e-commerce exposed by the end of fiscal year 2020. Currently, they're over 50%. So they're way ahead of where their goal was there. Um, you know, as you said, Skechers has the larger uh, retail footprint. I actually think that's an advantage for Crocs. I think Crocs is much better positioned to be an online-only direct-to-consumer brands, which makes me really excited. Um, you know, that said, companies like Foot Locker have actually had pretty good quarters, uh, whether that's due to you know, stimulus checks and people spending money, who knows. But I even think the retail sector is seeing a little love. I mean, I think their, um, their in-store sales on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis, if you just look at during the time they were open, um, they're actually up year over year. So the same-store sales comp has increased um, even though foot traffic is down, one reason in their call that they said that number was actually up is actually because of the stupid charms you mentioned. So Gibbets, which was a company that Crocs bought in 2005, uh, produces these little charms that you can put on your Crocs. As you know, Crocs have these holes and you can easily put these like nice little pins on them. Uh, there's an entire trading economy among Gibbets. Some of these individual pins can have quite high values on the secondary market, but you basically have an entire economy developed around Crocs, which doesn't really exist for many other brands. So I think you know, it brings to mind Seth Godin, uh, the famous author, has this book called The Purple Cow, which is basically, you, know, you see a purple cow, you remember it more, much more than a normal cow. So the point of the book is that brands that stand out are the brands that live on and can kind of control the pricing structure among consumers. So I love the fact that Crocs is one of a kind they're almost so incredibly dumb and so weird to look at. Uh, you don't forget them anytime soon. So strength of the brand uh, driven by gibbets, which I really think is this unique kind of trading thing that, that enhances the value of each shoe. They were saying they, were, they saw um, higher average check per item 
on the as the result of people getting gibbets to associate with um, the classic Crocs. Uh, also drove the quarter. So to to wrap it up, you know, I, I think it, the the brand is one thing, but also uh, margins kind of benefiting from a fully e-commerce driven environment, and also gibbets becoming a, a very popular thing is beneficial. One final thing I want to say too is this is kind of becoming a cultural phenomenon. So some of the celebrities endorsing the Crocs brand, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Adam Sandler, in China and Korea, they've, they kind of have this uh, monopoly on the A-list actors. We're very big um, in those two countries among celebrities. So interesting to see Crocs uh, kind of gain a, a second wind here um, on the strength of gibbets, celebrities, and then uh, kind of emerging markets also very popular. So it's surprised doing the research to see that. Um, I don't really think Skechers kind of has the same firepower uh, with cultural phenomenon and also um, just you know, the, the, the momentum Crocs has right now. So I, I'm excited for this bet. Uh, I'll let you respond on Skechers, but I'm more than glad to buy you a pair of Crocs if you win this bet. I think you'll, you'll look pretty stellar in your pair of uh, classic KFC Crocs. It's, uh, I'm sure I'll look better in those than some, some Skechers shape-ups, which, quick sidebar, I don't know if she still is, but at one point, uh, Kim Kardashian West was, was endorsing. Still is. She uh, is in their Q2 investor deck. So I forgot Kardashian. She's definitely a big name, but yes, still with the brand. So I think her Q score crushes uh, any A-list South Korean um, celebrities. So I, I will take that star power any day. And if we get a Skechers Yeezy, Yeezy collaboration, that's that's an easy you know twenty percent day right there. Um, so I, I definitely like like the celebrity upside there on two stocks I hate. And final thoughts here: I definitely tune into that Crocs earnings call just to see some real serious hedge fund managers asking questions about gibbets and uh, having having a, a serious intellectual discourse on that because I, I think we've probably talked more about gibbets than than grown adults should. But uh, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, um, I actually think a positive for the stock is not many analysts cover the company. It's a pretty short call. And this is not a lie. I encourage everybody to look this up. Uh, one of the analysts had to drop off the call because a squirrel uh, knocked over his uh, birdseed feeder. <laughs> so he uh, he excuses himself from the call, says, I missed uh, your last comments because I had to go chase down that squirrel. And then um, Andrew Reese, CEO of Crocs, responds, uh, he repeats the comment and says, yeah, I hope you got the squirrel. So clearly not a lot of people taking this company seriously, but I often find that to be a positive. Um, if institutions and kind of major hedge fund managers and money managers aren't really covering the name or giving it enough love, um, sometimes when people actually discover the story, that can be a big driver for the stock. And I mean, if if that that type of earnings call uh, shenanigans doesn't get a five billion dollar investment from Berkshire, then you know I don't know what what Margaritaville is waiting for because this this ticker's screaming by. This is a classic Warren Buffett buy. Uh, I, I would not be surprised to see them come into the stock. It, the valuation is maybe a little frothy. I feel like you don't often see Buffett kind of going for names that trade 20 times earnings. Uh, but it is kind of one of those brands that uh, has just taken on a life of its own. But excited for this bet. Uh, I think I might just get a pair of Crocs on my own. Um, they do look pretty sweet, uh, especially some of the classic pairs. So I'll have to look at the website and figure out what I want. Such a beloved brand. I, you, your feet will be very loved by such a beloved brand. Consumers going casual. I mean, that, that's where things are going. So, uh, you know, you see these kind of fashion uh, brands down and uh, the casual brands up. So if you're spending so much time at home, you know, you got to get your pair of Crocs and stay comfy. Calls and sweatpants. <laughs> exactly. All right, buddy. Anything else before we wrap up here? 
well, let's get the uh, rundown of scores last week for our, our Wall Street Bets game here. And uh, still working on the lineup, so don't don't have one for the listeners out there. But I got a couple of thoughts as far as uh, looking at some of the um, salaries here. So let, let's just run down uh, the results from last week and tally our, our score here and then you know, toss out a few um, morsels for the listeners, which uh, as soon as those salaries are out, we definitely welcome the entries from the audience here. Um, compete with the the big boys here can you pick stocks better over a week time frame than us and uh so far so far we've been pretty neck and neck so let's see what the results are this was a horrendous week for both of us this was i think uh for everyone who played the worst week yet no one actually finished above zero percent uh but we can do a quick rundown do you uh, since as the loser of this week would you like to go over your lineup first uh i mean just about all i have to say is <laughs> It, it was a tough week here uh, w- with there not being a lot of real action, kind of just a, a choppy sideways week. I'm um, not sure what the optimal play would have been here, but uh, SQQ, despite looking strong on Tuesday, um, it, the Qs finishing a flat really didn't pan out uh, that well. Really got burnt by the sell-off in, in metals, even though I'm holding gold, which you know probably run that one back next week, um, considering the, the after-hours movement on Friday. So you got saved by the bell on that one there. My, uh, my lineup, I'll give a quick overview here. So um, my only names that were up were Workday and uh, Bank of America. Everything else down. Um, so... SPY was short, um, was up 68 bips on the week. Uh, GLD, of course, took a hit on that. Some of my cloud names, CRM and PayPal, both down. Um, Workday actually up, so that was my my only winner. And then Bank of America, uh, I think I misspoke earlier, up 138 bips. But still finished the week down 8.7%. That was enough to win. Um, hopefully next week goes a bit better for you. And as you said, we will get the pricing sheet out to the listeners. You can find that on Twitter. Uh, BMB 21, you are the impervious. So another week in the books. Uh, very excited for the next pod. Any any parting words for the audience? I look forward to this week being yet again a very exciting week for Ben and hopefully uh, at least just a little more exciting for me. But if I was as easily pleased by the uh, price action as you, then you know I wouldn't need anything more than just a ticker every day. But looking forward to a nice week of trading. Going to be at the beach taking a little time off there. So uh any friends in the discord which quick uh plug for the discord uh ben will be sending out a link there if you want to join our up to the minute trading talk uh and um very highbrow uh meme discord there uh get in there but uh looking forward to a little r&r so almost hoping it's not too exciting of a week but um bitcoin keeps moving then uh could could turn out to be something interesting but i think when you're you're playing for expecting uh some some dull action that's when uh you either get that face ripper or caught off guard with a sell-off. So who knows? This could be the week where, where some spiciness finds its way into the price action. Yeah, very eventful. More eventful than next week. Maybe we'll see. Until then, happy trading, everyone. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.